Welcome to Twin Speaks is intended for mature audiences. Also, content warning, we will be discussing topics such as domestic abuse and violence. If you're okay watching Twin Peaks, you'll be okay listening to us. Thank you, and welcome to Twin Speaks. Hello! Hi, hi! Hello, hello! And welcome back to Welcome to Twin Speaks! This is Mike. And I am Janine. And we're giggling a lot because we are in the same room! Wait, what? Janine, this, oh, this okay. HD, this <laughs> HD camera that you're using right now, it's so... Wait a minute, that's just your face! No pixels, no lag, thank nope. God. Yes. We and so now naturally we're uh drinking wine, hanging out, and discussing some Twin Peaks. Oh, get a little for the. That was actually a real. <laughs> that wasn't an audio fill-in. That was that was not us editing in some <laughs> cheers. That was literally us. Um and 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 so and so last time we discussed uh the one armed man. Mm-hmm episode and, and we talked about some some genre, genre mixing um and janine today we're talking episode five we are five actually well six yeah! uh, and we get to high five each I know, other that's, for real it's <laughs> creepy I mean, it's, it's surreal but it's awesome we can actually high five and like clink glasses and we can actually like get excited about this show in person we're six episodes in i'm really proud of us I mean, this is your sixth, sixth time watching the sixth episode, I mean, it's potentially. The, so it's the sixth time watching the sixth episode, and we're, when are we recording this? We're recording this on the 12th, which divided by two is six. six. This is the devil's <laughs> episode, Janine. There's something dark and creepy going on. We were meant to record on this day <laughs> in person. <laughs> Diane, um, it's, it's July 12th. Yeah, July 12, 2021. <laughs> we have discovered the Devil's Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so Janine, how, how are you? This is like the first time I'm seeing your face in person in so long. What's going on in Janine's life? Yeah, was the last time we saw each other in person was last summer when you brought up the podcast? Or did we see... Oh my God, I think it was. Like I was going to say, I thought there was one other time we saw each other after, but I think that was it. I think that, yeah, I think the last time we saw each other, we got coffee and we're like, oh, wait, you never saw Twin Peaks? So funny. I had an idea for a podcast. Literally in the middle of pandemic, like we're like outside summer. Life sucks. Let's do something really crafty together. And here we are. (laughs) Life's so much better. (laughs) Uh, And we're doing it. We're making it happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. Do, 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 oh, and you just got back from Hawaii. Yes. Uh. No sightings of Doctor Jacoby. Thank God. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> Not the man. We we got a lot of work out of Doctor Jacoby in this episode. Yeah. Some great. I was less sick of him, but yeah, I did see. I have a few moments when I was in Hawaii where, like, I saw, like, you know, being in. Hawaii and the surrounings and having Dr. Jacoby, like, made me think of his, like, attire from the previous episode. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, golf balls. I'm like, no, don't think of it. <laughs> were, there, were there just men walking around with like... Like, with, like, fish ties? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I know you from episode one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> no, but Hawaii was great. I recommend it to everyone. And um, the food is amazing. The views are amazing. And it was quite, um, it was a privilege to be able to get to go. It was awesome. I'm so excited. I haven't done my trip yet. I know. Soon. Soon. You'll be the one that sees Jacoby. I know it. Yes. I'm going to look out for those red and blue sunglasses. Well, Janine, <laughs> on that note, can you hear that? Up until this moment, I have experienced nothing at the Great Northern Hotel but the most pleasant and courteous service imaginable. So with that, Janine, let's meet at the Great Northern and discuss... Twin Peaks Season 1, Episode 5, Cooper's Dreams. Okay, here we go. Okay, Cooper's Dream is, Dreams is the title, but I'm quite fascinated that this there was no actual, if I'm correct, no actual dream sequences in this episode. It is a strange title for this episode. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I, I like I distinctly remember like the first like the titles of the first four episodes. I forgot this was the name of this one, and even going into it, I was like, "Wait, why exactly?" Like this is yeah. I thought like David David just like David Lynch gives us a curveball with the title, and I feel like not that it has nothing to do with the episode, I guess, but I, I don't know. It was a bit strange. Well, I'm not sure if he had anything to do with naming the episodes because if you remember, they were named. Like, later, when they came out with, like, the... The, the film part, or... So, it was when they started releasing them, like, like each episode internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when they started giving them titles. And then when they put them on um, Netflix, which they recently... The big drama is they took it off Netflix. Yeah, um, Mike and I have an opinion about that, but... Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll just give Hulu all my money now. <laughs> um, but so when they... Put, so And then when they put it on Netflix... Um, they had all the episode titles with it, so. Gotcha. Um. Yeah, I assumed, okay, so when we start this episode, it does start with Cooper waking up in his bed, and I thought it was just gonna, like, he was gonna maybe talk about his dream, but what have you, we had, like, this Icelandic singing in the background, which I found very endearing, even though for him it was 4.28 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) Um, I thought it was quite cute, but I thought it was quite interesting. It was the first time we were seeing Coop actually quite pissed off. Like, he's always been quite, as I said, calm, collected Coop. And this is the first time where he was like, I mean, anyone. He I, I, Basically, Cooper is New York in this episode. Like, he's just, I need my coffee. <laughs> I Diane, I am not okay with this. Puts, like, the audio to, like, listen to this bullshit. And he's just like, I'm not okay. Which he mentions New York. In his in his tirade, he was like the last time, like he's like like oh do you remember those earplugs that I had in New York? Can you send those over to me? Oh yeah, it was his last case. Okay, I totally didn't take note of that. And I forgot he did mention. Yeah, he acts like he's from New York though yeah. in this whole episode. Um, yeah. So basically, Agent Cooper is quite upset. Um, I'm a little okay. I have a little theory theory, um, and I didn't put it in my notes. I'm wondering if Diane is even real, like. I'm wondering if she's not even real. And see, now this is funny because I'm looking you in the <laughs> eye. And and anyway- <laughs> I have to do like extra poker face. Like You had the layer of the webcam where you could like hide with the poker face. But now anyone listening. I gotta be like Casino Royale over here. Like, indeed, Mr. Bond. Mike's just like looking down at his notes. So like, so I'm going to try and read his face. But yeah, so Cooper's 
basically, like, he's talking to Diane, and this whole, I mean, I didn't question it as much at first, because like, I was trying to take everything in, but this far now into the season, I'm like, is Diane even real? Is Diane someone that's dead, and it's, like, from his past? Or, I mean, then my third theory could be, like, it's into the supernatural, and, like, she could be a ghost from, I don't know, 1887. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so basically Agent Coop is quite, um, he's quite pissed, and it's 4.28 a.m., and he's done with these loud singers that are basically right next door to him at the hotel, at the lodge. Um, so he heads downstairs, and I get tense every time him and Audrey get into a scene. I am not obviously okay with that dynamic, but, yeah, more creepy stuff with Coop and Audrey. Though I have to say, at this point now, Audrey's probably, like, the most, like, um, fascinating character for me. Like, I like when she gets into a scene. Like, she's probably, she has, she's young, so it makes sense in her family dynamic why she's, like, manipulative or has, like, some of these toxic traits. But she's such, like, a fascinating character for the town and the show and the whole premise of what's going on. I still, I think she's innocent, but, um, I will say, like, innocent-looking Coop, like, Coop didn't look innocent regardless Anytime he's talking to Audrey. There is no innocence there. It is really fucked up and not okay. But when he was bubbly and lighthearted, like, you know, it was easier to see the scene. And, or maybe not, actually. It was just, just as creepy. But now when he's on edge and he's talking to Audrey, I'm just like, I'm starting to actually, I don't want to say I'm not, not liking Coop. I was very afraid to tell you that because we've been such a fan of him. And I know you're a fan of him the whole time. But you know more of his story towards the end. I'm currently nervous about Coop and I'm not sure. I don't think he's like my favorite character right now. If there's ever a time to feel iffy about Coop, it's when he's talking. Oh, of Audrey. course. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, what, uh, what, what's the line that they, that they exchange? I think she says, like, I don't believe you were ever my age. And he goes, I have pictures. It's like, ugh. Mm. It just doesn't, and any, it never hits right. Yeah, and any man asking a girl's age, like, no, it's just the whole thing. Um, but we have good old Jerry from the Ben and Jerry clan, uh, not the ice cream place, but goes to I think it's Ben's office and I am not one ounce surprised that Ben has a flipping huge ass like massive wooden plaque saying Ben on it on his desk fuck this guy I can't Iconic. <laughs> the fact that he wants to burn down a mill and he's just like so corrupt and all these other things and then he on top of that thinks he has the right he has the audacity to flip and have a wooden plaque on his... No, I'm sorry. I can't stand the guy. I'm not sorry at all. I can't stand him. Um, so anyway, we have him and his good old shitty-ass brother Jerry come in. And um, apparently Jerry's in love with a woman named uh, Heba. Heba? Heba, Heba. Heba, Heba. <laughs> Heba. Didn't realize that until later. But yeah, Heba, Heba. <laughs> and um, yeah, so... Jerry's explaining a little bit, I think, about what that group was there for and how he's in love with this woman. And he has, apparently, she's like sunshine on a, uh, like on a snow flow, like ice flow or something. I don't know. I always get a little bit, um, what's the word? Like autopilot between them so far. There's only been like, what, two or three scenes? Like they're in One-Eyed Jacks. They had that awkward dinner in the other episode. And this came up, and I, but the only time he did finally get my attention was when he threw out that leg of lamb, that 
it's like it, like everything with with Jerry is just like food, sex. Like he's just like the ultimate like pleasure seeker. Like like Ben is clearly like the brains of the operation. Like he's oh, yeah, like you know he's sinister. evil. He's evil, but he's like you know business oriented and all that. And then Jerry is just like. Oh, Hebba. Hebba, Hebba. Hebba, Hebba. Hebba, Hebba. Lamb, lamb. Hebba, Hebba. Look what she got me. It's true, yeah. There's such a there's such a big distinguished difference between two assholes where one is smart and one is dumb. And you're like, oh. Yeah, like, you get under my skin more. So. Totally. Yeah. And then uh, poor Leyland walks in. And I really, I'm so scared for Leyland. Something is happening. I know you know, and you have been so quiet and good about it, but I'm sensing, like, my intuition, my gut is telling me something really bad is going to happen to Leyland. I don't know if I'm wrong, but every time, it's been such a buildup from the first episode of when he finds out that Laura dies, and to this point, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. It's like hearing the sort of like really intense scary like orchestra and it's gonna get to that climatic point with the violin and the fucking string breaks and Leyland's playing the yeah I'm getting a little poetic (laughs) but yeah so Leyland walks in and he's offering some help with um what was it because he hears about the investors that that are there um interrupts the fact that Jerry and what was it that Ben were gonna maybe go to One-Eyed Jacks, hence why I like I was glad Leyland came in at the time that he did. But yeah, he's wanting to offer to help, and Ben is just like treating Leyland like he's a puppy dog that is untrained and like it needs him to get out of the room. He keeps on like you know, yeah. I'm very nervous about Leyland, and I know you can't say a damn thing, Mike. <laughs> I mean, Ugh. we've we've liter- we've seen his literal blood, sweat, and tears in this yeah. series so far. I can't see anymore <laughs> what Leland's going to go through. But yeah, I'm very sad for the guy. So next scene, we do have, um, I think it's Hank. No, not Hank. What am I talking about? No, we'll go to talk about Hank later. We have Hawk, or is it Andy? Someone gives a tip that they need to go to Jacques, um, Jacques' apartment. Because they need to now, like, search the place, basically. Well, so, yeah, so they... they s- they, if you remember, they went there in the last episode. Oh, where Bobby escaped. Right. Last second. Yeah. Yeah. Where Bobby was planting uh, Leo Johnson's shirt. Mm-hmm. And then, so now they're back and like doing the like official police search and yeah. looking through everything. And Coop is still pissed. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I know we can't show it on the podcast, but the first uh funny note for me in this episode was just coop walks in to and sees truman and then like coop's like but are there any donuts and then like truman just goes quietly like as if he was in the military and he just gave like a code signal to andy like and gave him like the donut hand symbol and i was like wait is that something that people have done for decades and i didn't know about it isn't that real i mean this is a this is a sheriff's department that loves their donuts so i'm not surprised (laughs) that they have like a hand signal to be like donut it was so like uh, instinctual, like it was actually like Andy's, probably like on his resume, the best thing he could do at his job, like at his job as a cop. <laughs> he's like, I can, I can get donuts when I see that symbol. Um, yeah, so, you know, Truman gives the A-OK to Andy to get some donuts, and Coop talks to Doc, and they're like searching the things, and of course, this is where now I think I'm finally starting to get proper suspicious of Coop aside from the creepiness he has with Audrey 
I'm actually a little bit suspicious of how good he is at his job now at this point. Like, he's so good at his job, and I get that we've had this dream sort of part that sounds like it's a bit of what helps him, like his skill, like his premonition or what have you. But he what he's just standing there, and all of a sudden he goes and asks Truman for a knee or like a little bit of a leg up, and which I thought was funny because when he said leg up, I don't know if that was like a little bit of a... Uh, a reminder of the previous scene with the leg of lamb. I don't know why. <laughs> that was my thought process. I was like, oh, give me a leg. And I was like, leg of lamb? Um, I was more so just thinking, like, how about a chair or a stepladder? Yeah, I thought that was also funny. Um, but we clearly, that's another discussion for this episode. How they handle ca- uh, crime scenes or just rooms <laughs> are very interesting. Yeah, so he gets this flesh magazine that where. So they didn't even show on the camera what's there. It's just the ceiling. Was it on a fan? Was it in like one of those sort of styrofoam like push? He just found it. He literally just looks up at the ceiling and just like takes it from the ceiling. And I I, like, again, this is like my fifth or sixth time like watching the show. I have rewatched this scene a hundred times. And I, I, at this point I was just like, I still don't get it. And so I just looked it up. And even like the, the online descriptions just say like, Cooper finds Flesh World on the ceiling. There's no explanation of it. What the fuck? Like, on the ceiling. Yeah, that maybe that that's my reason where I think it was a I mean, I get that David Lynch has this approach in shows, but at the same time I'm like, well, it, to me automatically makes me fishy of Cooper. I'm like, that's just too like Truman and Doc and Andy were there for like what, probably an hour or so before he walks up. in. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, I have to now relate to that because anytime I'm at work, especially when I used to work in the restaurant industry and someone would just say like, I was good at my job. I will give myself that. But I was notorious for like, if I needed to go find something, I would take 20 minutes because I couldn't look up or look down. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> wait, am I good at my job if I can't even look up or down? Like, why is it? <laughs> so I actually relate to uh, those three men and not like Coop. Um, it's like when I can't find something in the fridge, like when I used to live with my parents, my mom would just be like, did you move things? And I was like, <laughs> well, it's right here. On the shelf, on the door. <laughs> yeah. On the ceiling. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we have basically this flesh magazine, which leads to very quick clues for Coop, hence why I felt fishy. Um, and it connects to basically this photo they had of Ronette that they was from, like, it looks like basically like it's an advertisement or like a, like a, not, not a penny saver, uh, like the yellow pages for finding you know like uh, intimate relationships or like basically i'm not sure if it was like prostitutes and stuff like that but yeah so um they basically the magazine yeah it's they find like a middleman between the readers and it's a picture of leo's truck that coop mentions and that polaroid of a man in like a blue dress and a beard and what is coop's comment yeah i think the beard like throws it off but what do you think like and he just like wants to know Truman's like opinion. Yeah, he's got like such a weird way of like how I wouldn't say just a weird way, but he has a very unique way of how he socializes. Slightly off the case, I was like, okay, he wanted to know Truman's opinion of the photo. Yeah, and he goes, he ain't no Georgia Peach. Yeah, it's a bit of a dated, bit of a dated scene. But, uh... It is, it is, and I was kind of like, okay, but what are you gonna? Yeah, so. We have that man, and then in the, the the picture, and then, but the most important, you know, lead they have is Leo's. We're not going to say the title of that truck. 
We have Leo's truck in the Flesh magazine, which really is where it belongs in my eyes. So, yeah, of course, the the name of the truck would be in an adult magazine. I'm like, why do I feel like Flesh magazine gave birth to his truck? Is basically what they came up with the name. Yeah, they're like. <laughs> Leo Struck is a sponsor for Flesh Magazine. That's my headcanon now. <laughs> uh, next scene, another uh, few characters that are getting basically. I, I'm not. I can't think of any characters that are not making the antsy. Ironically, besides Audrey, but you have Shelley and Bobby, and obviously, since this gun has gotten to the picture, I'm just like sweet baby jesus put down the gun like you guys need to not mix like weapons and sex at the same time it needs to just kind of lay back um but yeah so they're basically sitting at breakfast continuing to get too horny by the minute and keep pretending that like leo's gonna walk in and i literally was waiting for leo to just step in um but yeah they basically oh andy knocks on the door and um bobby hides in the background and now this is what i was a little bit confused about shelly mentions where like leo was like what what she heard of is she literally just making that up and pinpointing it on leo trying to make him look bad or is it actually because she did know that he was associating you know with um with jacques with what he heard about so well because she mentions she mentions the phone call and to the extent that that phone call existed is up for debate but she definitely knows that like leo and Jacques have been interacting right? yeah okay yeah, yeah totally that's what i got the vibe of but and then bobby gives her like you know high praise for being a good old girlfriend even though he just is like a lot of guys and wants her to make breakfast um but yeah and then leo calls and says that he misses her and that was a little bit like I mean, I didn't really have any empathy for Leo, but I was just, it, again, all these scenes are right now leading to, like, that violin string, excuse me, breaking. And I'm kind of just getting a little antsy now. Like, someone's going to die, is what I feel like. Not just, it's going to be a new murder in my eyes. Then we have, fast forward to my most favorite charismatic character i don't know why still and there's not a lot of scenes with her but norma and ever since you mentioned too that she passed away like i've kind of been really tempted to want to like look at her career history and i can't yet for spoiler reasons but yeah she seemed like there's something about her that's just like so um regardless of the fact that she's having an affair with ed the more obviously you're finding about both of their personal background stories and that they were high school sweethearts like it does make sense like why they connect like it is just an honest connection and yeah she seems like she just seems really like um i don't want to say just innocent because i feel like no one's innocent in twin peaks but soft if that's the right she's, word she's very warm she's yeah, very, she's very like, warm, exactly. charismatic yeah. and like like she just she she does genuinely want what's best for people and that's why yeah. she does you know kind of call things off is because like she understands that that's the best thing to do in this scenario is to just be like we need to stop talking. Well, so know. when I saw that scene, it seemed like she, one thing I did like is that she right away was telling Ed what's happening with Hank and that Hank is coming back and he's on parole. Um, or, uh, yeah. And, but one thing, uh, she like mentions it and then Ed just goes, well, Nadine's sick. 
And, like, I was a little confused with that scene because I thought she did seem like she was implying that they need to sort of keep a distance. But then, like, Ed almost looked like he was trying to not beat her to the punch, but, like, he mentions that Nadine is sick. And then she goes, oh, so what are you saying? Like, I thought she was almost trying to give him the reins. I don't know. It was, like, a quick scene, and I was still trying to just, I'm still coming from a place of reading them, like, as characters early on. But, yeah, so obviously it means they're kind of taking a pause, which I never thought I'd be, like, (laughs) <laughs> down about like an affair <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but you know that's what happens when you empathize with humans so i mean um but yeah so it looks like you know they're calling it off for a little bit which i feel down about okay this was um probably the most um now i realize how dangerous or like how like fierce audrey is she's like no do not fuck with me. You're going to listen to me and do what I say. And I was like, damn. And then at the same time, I was like, oh, my God. It's attractive. <laughs> Slightly. She's a woman on a mission. Yep. Like, she is ready to go. <laughs> Take like, no prisoners. Don't want to be the person on the other end of that interview. But, yeah. So, Audrey has an interview with um, that guy that works for uh, her dad, Ben. Emery. Mm-hmm. Um, Battis. Is it Battis? Uh, I think it's Battis. Mm-hmm. They don't... They don't they don't usually say his last name, but oh, Emery, okay. yeah. If anyone's wondering, is because Mike takes really good notes, and I like we we share notes and exchange them, and then sometimes I'm like learning little like tidbits, but he's also very careful with not giving spoilers. So, <laughs> little shout out to Mike for doing that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she has that interview, and she obviously gives the push and threat, let's say, and potential blackmail um, towards Emery you're going to let me work in the department store and you're going to tell my dad this and you're going to shut the fuck up and do what I say. And she has the whole Sharon Stone vibe and the slicked back hair and then just like, five danger points to Audrey. (laughs) (laughs) We had a blackmail Betty in the house. (laughs) But yeah, don't mess with her. But again, like I, like, I know she's a dangerous character. I know she's, like, uh, manipulative. And, like, I, it's weird where I'm placing my empathy with certain characters. I think with her, though, just, like, as an audience viewer when you're watching the show, I'm forgetting. Sometimes it's, like, when you're just watching a show, like, we watch so many dark things nowadays. And this is, like, again, early 90s. But I'm just like, wow. It's, it's horrible. It makes you question, like, your morality sometimes when you're really entertained by, like, really dark characters. And you're like, oh, why am I so entertained by this? Like, wait, should I be watching, like, Little House on the Prairie and something a little bit lighter or whatever? <laughs> I mean, she I yeah, like, she literally says in this scene, like, you know, oh, yeah, you're going to give me that job or else I'm going to rip my skirt and scream and tell my dad that you made a pass at me. And she's like... She just gets to the point. Like, whoa. She only... And she only gives him, like, one try. Like, not even. Like, she did... Sometimes I feel like in other uh, scenes of that nature, someone would give him, like, three, like, you know, three tries and you're out and then they're going to, like, give the threat. She just gives the fucking threat, like... 30 seconds in she's like no but i also don't have you know that much sympathy for the basic white man co-manager boss or whatever at the desk so she's getting her job done can't really blame her she's on she's a she's in nancy drew mode and i'm always rooting for the nancy drews (laughs) um finally got an exchange between donna and james again they meet in this gazebo and of course it has that cheesy McCheesecake romantic music playing in the background every time they see each other. I mean, I am, like, rooting for them sometimes, but now I've been a little bit on edge since last episode, since I got very, very suspicious, very sus of Donna. Super Mm -hmm. sus. Um, So now every time I see her, I really do 
feel like she's so guilty of something and I don't know what. And it could be related to Laura. But in their scene, we have James being hard on his sleeve. Also need to be honest. I I could see the connections of how James is like the guy in the show that's kind of like the Norma in the show. Like soft, like warm, welcoming characters. Obviously James a little bit of a wet noodle sometimes, but like he's like, (laughs) he's a very young kid, you know, and whatnot. Obviously Norma has a bit of years and more wisdom on her shoulders, but yeah. So he uh, tells the truth about how his father's not actually dead. His dead father is actually alive. And that his mom, he opens up the truth about how his mom was a bit of an alcoholic and goes to hotels and invites men in and like has this sort of, yeah, basically um, chaotic kind of side life. And, but this was like an important scene I can tell because it's basically like, again, I'm fishy of Donna now. So the moment that James is like saying, hey, we need to be honest with each other, um, no relationships and happy with like started or having lies there and this was a big suspicious factor for me not just because I've already been suspicious of her and not just because I'm reading into it but Donna basically goes she doesn't say anything in regards to lies though like he just has basically he just like said you know his truth and then she just goes and focuses on Laura and she goes we're gonna you know focus we're going to do what's right in her name and blah 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 but I'm like but what do you have to hide Donna just saying. Raising eyebrows at Donna. Yeah. My eyebrow hurts with how much I'm raising my eyebrow <laughs> at Donna. James is a little soft boy, too. Yeah, it's Just be so cool on his motorcycle, but he's just a little soft boy. I know. It's like he tries to get that exterior with the, the leather jackets. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we have the officers and a forensics team go through Jacques' apartment and discover that Jacques, like, had a correspondence with another advertiser in the magazine. And of course, Coop and everyone, it's Laura. Um, which is funny because it's just like her head's not there, but they just assess it because of the red curtain background and all that stuff, which really got me antsy because I'm like, oh my God, this episode, we're going to really find like maybe a crime scene and all this other stuff. But yeah, it has the red drapes. It mentions the cabin. Um, and Cooper takes a bite of a donut, doesn't he? Or something. <laughs> there's, a yeah. donut, there's a donut bite. But no, no, no. And I know you're going to maybe you're looking at me. And I know that this is important. Who in their right mind, with gloves, because you're handling a crime potential crime scene and grabs donuts with the same gloves? They're, DNA and sugar, brown sugar. On I, th- I mean, they're powdering for Prince Janine. They're just they're just using the powder from the donuts, like the, the powdered sugar on the donuts, and just powdering for Prince. It's a two how- in one. <laughs> Makes it convenient. You're right. The donuts just like are too good to a case can be ruined for them. It's fine. But you're right. No, they're that good to be powdering for fingerprints. Whatever you say, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what they use. Powdered sugar. Oh, also, like clock the creepy clown painting in the background. No, I didn't see it. Oh, there's like this like creepy in like the background of the scene. There's like a creepy clown painting. It makes absolutely no sense. I don't know why it's there. I don't know if Jacques like super into clowns or something, but like I'm afraid to look back. <laughs> I'm like I don't want to look at that later when you leave and I'm by myself. <laughs> and I go back and I'm like no 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 no. Like, no, no nightmares for me. Really though, it was like just in the background of that part when they're eating the donuts and ruining the current the whole apartment. Yeah, it's like did you ever see the Good Place? The first season and a half ish. 
Yeah, so you know, like the when she gets her room, like oh, the, yeah. the clouds in the back. That's what it reminded me of. I'm just oh, like, oh gosh, it makes me think of what was it? Um, I watched Supernatural with my roommate and Sam of the brothers. Sam Winchester has like a terrifying fear of clowns, and it really does make sense. I get why people would be scared of clowns. Well, both shows very heavily inspired by Twin Peaks. Yeah, one thing I have to give props to this episode led to a sort of um like cinematic level like as if you're in a movie theater seeing a marvel movie moment like when they're about to find this cabin and it just has like the the profile of wait are we up to that part yet so this is so they they kind of do like the same shot twice they do it the first time when they're in jacques apartment um with just the the three of them yeah with just um hawk coop and um harry yeah and then later when they're in the woods they like do the same shot with Doc with well. Doc Hayward in the back as well. Yeah, that was very like a well, I was gonna say Charlie's Angels moment, but it was like four Charlie's Angels <laughs> and they all line up with a profile or like a James Bond ish kind of like. Yeah, it was pretty uh pretty dramatic and I liked it. And the birds, okay, that 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 bird's um eye view of the camera and you could like see the person filming it within that bird's eye. That was pretty. That was pretty sick. Yeah, things are starting to feel like not just dramatic. Like they're starting to get really um like saturated in the like actions about to happen kind of thing which i thought was pretty cool tensions are bubbling oh yeah um so we have maddie uh enters the diner meets james and donna to have a talk because now donna and you know james wanted to be on the case of finding out you know who really killed laura because they don't want them to get away with it so i'm i'll try and hold back i keep on wanting to talk about donna being suspicious but donna um asked Mad- uh, Madeline if she can keep a secret because they're not sure of their theories just yet. One thing I'm noticing, and this was very strange, and it's obviously like you made it clear to me. Obviously, I know, and I had my embarrassing moment of realizing that Madeline is the same actress that plays Laura. <laughs> when she takes her glasses off, you're like, this is extra creepy because it's like, okay, I'm almost for- like, I'm remembering I'm watching a show right now because it is the same actress. So right. that was a little bit out of the show moment for me. Um, but Madeline basically agrees to, uh, keep secret and help them out. And because obviously, um, you know, Madeline was cousins with Laura, they assume she'll know something about this secret hiding place that Laura used to refer to. Um, again, it's like this episode's like really starting to get, and I get it's getting closer to the end of the season. So now it's like, and I know you can't tell you this, but I'm wondering if we're going to find out who killed Laura Palmer by the end of this season. I'm kind of like, wait a second. Um... I'm shaking with excitement. <laughs> anyway, but what do we have but my new least favorite character sitting on the other side of the booth when they head out of the diner, Madeline, you know, Donna and James. We have silly man off Hank with his domino flipping keychain. What's the number? Like six or seven? It's got like a three and a two dot. Uh, I actually don't remember. I don't remember what domino number it is off but the top of my the head. The Nancy Drew in me is like, I need to know that number because it's going to be extremely important later. But you didn't give me a spoiler, but now I know maybe it's not that important. It's six. It is six. Wow, I guess so that. Another, another six. We mentioned before. This is the Devil's Podcast. I swear to God. <laughs> By the time we get to the end of the season, like, I don't know, like Kyle McLaughlin's going to walk in the door and just be like, 
hey, I'm proud of you guys. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, you guys did it. You figured it out. Twin Peaks was to summon Satan. (laughs) But yeah, so we now know that Hank is in town and he's like very fishy, eavesdropping left and right. And now he knows that James, Donna and Madeline are all in cahoots trying to figure out who killed Laura and about this, uh, yeah, about this hiding place that basically Madeline's going to do the search on. Um, Norma and Shelley come in, though, quite dressed up, dressed to the nines. Mm-hmm. They went to the beautician. <laughs> um, <laughs> beautician. I know, when was the last time someone said beautician? <laughs> Janine did in 2021. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was the beautician. Yeah. Oh, she'll get yeah. her hair done. <laughs> Get your nails done, go to nice. <laughs> Mascara and blush and lipstick and all. I love so so there's this um there's this meme online. Have you watched The Office? Oh yeah. Yeah, you oh, know the, the episode where Phyllis takes um uh, oh, Karen, Karen to the to the <laughs> salon and they get like their hair done. And everything. Is it because they're supposed to like be trying to get more clientele in the interviews and they get all dolled up? Yeah. <laughs> so they <laughs> So there's a meme online where it shows, like, the two pictures back-to-back. Which is even <laughs> funnier when you think that uh, Peggy Lipton, who plays um, Norma, is Rashida Jones's mother. Oh, yeah! So it's kind of like... I don't... Well, see, I say I don't think that was intentional, but um, the creator of The Office is a big Twin, Twin Peaks, Peaks fan. fan. So I wonder if it was intentional. Ooh, I'm excited. There's gotta be some Twin Peaks references in The Office, I'm assuming. Oh, what's funny is I, I watched The Office all the way through recently. I, th- I think there was, but I don't remember. They're not as apparent. They're much more apparent in The Good Place than in... Oh, uh, uh, okay. Or, or or actually even in um, Parks and Rec. There's a few like... Oh, uh, Parks and Rec, I, for some reason I've had a re- repeat of watching the first like seven episodes of season one. And I keep then I stopping there, and then like a few months, a year later, I go back from the beginning and go to. Se- so I have I'm never finished been doing parts. the same no. exact thing with that show. So you never finished the show. I've never finished the show. Oh, I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> more in more in real life high fives. That was yeah. Every time I like, yeah. <laughs> Do we need to just close every time there's a high five on the podcast? Because like otherwise we will be like, wait, Mike, or like Jenny, did you just slap the, uh, your co-host? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're. Yeah. <laughs> No, um, guys, we just give a lot of high fives. We're just, yeah, we're just cool people. <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, Norma and Shelly beauty it up, walking into the diner. <laughs> and, um, of course, unfortunately get greeted by um, Norma's still technically husband, Hank, mm-hmm. at the booth. Um, but, yeah, it obviously leaves a very unsettling, you know, interruption in that moment. And it's pretty plain and... Uh, clear that he's not really a a good character to keep an eye on. He's a fish. He's the fishiest of all the fish in the percolator. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he she gives him the the you know the a okay to maybe start doing the dishes, and then we have our return of invitation to love on the telly. My favorite sub show, subtext show. Shelly watching the telly. And some, I, I just remember, what was it? Some guy, Dexter, I think, gets beat up or something like that. I heard Dexter. De- right. uh, you have Montana. Montana 
beats up Chet as Jared watches. I'm going to trust you on that. Only because I was not even invested at first with Imitation to Love when it first showed up. But now that it's showing up more and more. I want I want someone to like make a full-length version of Invitation to Love. I want to know what's going on in this show. Yeah, like I am a little bit curious. Like, poor Chet. Can there be like a mockumentary of like those characters where they're like... Or like the actors from the Invitation to Love show. That would be so funny. Like do like a like almost like a behind the music kind of like thing. Yeah, but like featurette like, inside yeah. the actors' studio with the with the actors from Invitation to Love. Invitation to Love. Oh, that'd um, be funny. Yeah. All right. So we have um, Bobby's parents and Bobby are in therapy basically with Doctor Jacoby, and this is kind of funny because. So I watched the episode today before we recorded, and I started rewatching One Tree Hill. I don't know if you watched that show back in the day. I did not. I mean, it's a very white show. It takes place in North Carolina, and it's it came out in two thousand three. Okay. <laughs> it, I'm proud that they've actually had maybe like a, a breadcrumb of some woke moments. Like they're a little woke, but not enough. Um, <laughs> anyway, I don't know why I just wanted to watch something I'd seen before, and I've been having that play in the background. But today I was watching an episode, and there's like a scene with this character Nathan who's also a bit of a Bobby character like he's an athlete and his parents are conflicted and arguing but basically they go to this this therapy session and I'm like I just thought it was quite comical because I watched basically one too many white families in therapy today (laughs) um well I hope their therapist was better than Dr. Jacoby (laughs) a bit yeah I mean to start she was a woman so there's a lot less uh (laughs) creepiness I will say Dr. Jacoby does a fine job in this scene Yes. It was a fine job. I will, that was, I know you may not believe me, but I was for the first time going to say, uh, I was like, okay, he seems like he is um, showing some bit of empathy and he's trying to take it, like take his job seriously and he was invested in listening. Um, and this is why I thought it was also interesting because in the other, in One Tree Hill's like episode and with the characters, the therapist tries to get like alone with the son and talk to the son about what they're complete like basically it's like the son that has kind of like all the answers information on his sleeve hmm. or i should say like bobby who's like sitting on a 90 degree angle on the couch, <laughs> which i thought was i don't know like when it panned to him from like the parents back to board like i love how the camera angle went from like bobby's dad bobby's mom bobby's dad bobby's mom pan out to all three of them and Bobby's like slanted hanging off the couch and I laughed out loud and I thought that was funny and this I did find interesting it looked like Dr. Jacoby like was putting out like the expert level of therapy like techniques on Bobby um and I have to say I have been liking uh the guy that plays Bobby like his acting I, I personally found it a little bit, not a little bit, I found it a lot hysterical, his 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 waterworks I wasn't convinced by, but I also get it works with this show because it has its, like, telenovela moments, mm-hmm. and this was one of them, but, um, yeah, so basically, Jacoby cracks Bobby open, and Bobby reveals that Laura wanted to die, which was quite a hard-hitting moment to take in, and even worse, just that, like, that whole part when he's revealing about how like Laura had her moment with Bobby mm-hmm. and said that the world is so like evil, so dark. And every time when she has a moment when she thinks there might be some good in the world, she's like, what is it like hooked or reeled back in and dragged back into hell? It was so dark this moment the way he was describing it. Um, but the worst part was it that I found very interesting is Bobby reveals that like Laura really, even though she was young, 
she had like this evil in her, or at least level of strong manipulation. And I did suspect this beginning in the season with the few clues that were being shown, but Bobby Flippin was in such a position where he was upset enough that he basically Laura controlled him in order to get drugs for her so she can get drugs. And he was taking care of the whole thing with drug dealers and stuff. And um, we see Bobby at his most, genuinely, his most vulnerable moment yet. So, yeah. It's a very tough scene. And it they're, is. And they're teenagers. I know. Teenagers. Now I, I have to, I remember at first I had to keep consciously reminding myself that these are teenagers because they didn't look like teenagers to me. With the, <laughs> They still do look like they're in their 20s. But now this like far into the season i'm like yeah no they're in high school they're in high school so anytime like any of these moments are coming up i'm like holy crap like what a high school and what trauma that they're all dealing with right now um just that like that he said like he wanted she wanted to corrupt people like she actually wanted people basically to get down to the level of hell that she was in basically which is so sad it's very sad um i will uh mention Dr. Kobe's got, I didn't, I knew he had the lens red and blue on his glasses, but he has like a red lining on his glasses. And I thought that was actually quite cool. Yeah. So I'm starting to be more observant of like his attire entirely. His outfit, <laughs> you're right. His outfit, um, two watches. He's got the two watches. <laughs> I guarantee you one of them is set to like Hawaiian time. That's gotta be what it is. <laughs> oh man. Then we have, um, so the officers walk through the woods um we have that epic bird shot we just mentioned and hawk um tracks a path to the cabin i will note i really love hawk's ring i'm not sure if he has two rings i know he has one earring oh wait not ring earring he has an earring that's like blue and it's got like it's a really beautiful sort of um sort of like a turquoise or dark blue ring have you noticed it there's like a short scene I, I have, like, a blindness for jewelry. Like, I really do. Like, people will be like, oh, did you notice this person's, like, necklace? And I was like, no. Taking note. <laughs> and also, this is probably the first time on the podcast that I've spotted something that you, that you didn't spot yeah. <laughs> after six <laughs> times. <laughs> and thus, the student has become the teacher. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, but basically, Hawk tracks a cabin, but Cooper says it's the wrong cab- cabin. And then Harry advises Doc, you know, to hang back. And this, I think, is probably the most, of course, the most interesting uh, scene of the whole episode. None, none other than my uh, favorite local log lady um, greets them on the porch and she offers tea and cookies, which I thought Coop would be the one to be excited about it. And he's like more, because maybe, I don't know, he's still not had enough coffee today. He's like, Let's continue. And then Hawk's like, no, wait, what kind of cookies? <laughs> and that was quite funny. Sugar. <laughs> um, this is what I find so interesting now with the log lady. This is obviously the most screen time she has had on the show thus far. And she like, her way of communicating is like, she's like talking to you about what's happening in the present time. And then all of a sudden she mentions something that sounds like existent- like existential sort of like realism. Or I don't know, like all of a sudden she just starts talking about like the owl watching or... um like not let them inside she's and, very mystical yeah she's very mystical that makes sense but the, and like so this is what i find interesting they all sit down together over tea and cookies and right away we get the sinuation like or at least now we're getting a little bit of her backstory 
she had a husband and the way that this was kind of like explained i think was the most poetic dark moment that it could be like and how it was interpreted and the fact that she just referred to that my husband like she goes what my husband saw the devil and the devil is the fire a fire that's too coward living in the smoke or something along the lines of that and i was like wow like so then i started to get the idea like this woman as this or margaret which was i don't know if her name was said prior but that was a pretty interesting thing it was uh it was i think it was mentioned in the first episode when they're okay. in like the town hall meeting yeah, yeah i was wondering um but yeah yeah like she's such an interesting character though and i think there's something so um to find out her backstory and then maybe see like what is mystical about her and find out the truth because it's like it seems like it's basically like she has a coping mechanism of how she deals with her trauma from her husband basically dying in a fire that was the day after their wedding which doc brings that up a little bit too casual if that's the <laughs> yeah. case like no tact at all just like <laughs> i thought doc was the empathetic character in the show and he's like oh yeah that happened like the day after your wedding right like well the real empathetic one in this scene is is really hawk like hawk seems to have like a deeper yeah. connection with the ugly like we're like the rest are all just kind of like what is this woman saying or talking about hawk is just kind of like listening to her and being like no wait guys let's hear her out like you're right he was really observant that's true yeah like she she has actually a lot of like important things to say and we should yeah. listen to her good point so they go further into it. like they have that great sort of like little tea time with her and it was nice to find out more about the log lady but then they go further into the woods and find another cabin and it's from the picture and this i thought was probably my favorite music moment and i was i i only looked at the subtitles but i'm assuming yeah into the night i did say it said into the night i really want to put this on my spotify playlist that was an amazing song like that was a, a really cool moment um and i'm really glad you mentioned that because we, we we might be talking about music later who knows we might be discussing some I mean, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, but so they walk into that room. The Into the Night is playing on vinyl. You got the red curtains. Like, this was a big moment because they literally are walking into a scene that looks like this is where Laura was. This is where Renette potentially could have been. I'm not sure if she was. But it's basically, like, part of the crime scene. The twine is there on the floor. Finley's, I think, if I'm correct, Finley's twine. Yes, absolutely. Good mem Good memory. Thank you. I hadn't even looked at those notes. But, you know, i got to remember. <laughs> got to remember those craft craftsmanship. Um, I hope I'm not at a point in the show where, like, I'm supposed to know something and I haven't caught up yet, like when I couldn't tell when it was the same actress, but I think I'm still doing okay. Yeah, so that was an interesting scene, and I am very much tonight going to add that song on my playlist, but um, <laughs> we transition where um, the Martells enter the gala for the men from Iceland, and, uh, yeah, that Briggs character chats and Jerry flirts with Heba. So we finally see who this Heba woman is in the same episode she is mentioned in. Um, Heba, Heba. Heba, Heba. <laughs> and, um, you know, Jerry gets a little too boundary crossing and flirty. <laughs> uh, and then we have Leyland, who's obviously, you know, not doing too well. And Benjamin being Benjamin, trying to play all the, all the cards in the room, is playing jokes. And Catherine, being rude Catherine, walks away from sweet old Peter... Which I like Peter's smile in that scene where he's just like, whatever. <laughs> his big glass of milk. Yeah, his big glass of milk. He shows up to a party <laughs> and it's just drinking milk. Again, now I'm starting to get 
when someone has like no shame like like Pete in that way, I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. Such a gem. This is probably the only time I'll root for Catherine, and she walks up to Ben while he's doing his cracking his jokes and just spills. She doesn't spill her wine on or her champagne on Ben's shoe. She just goes and plops like a good two inches of her glass, <laughs> and there's like an awkward like pissing sound of on his shoe moment. Um, yeah, so you know she's obviously pissed off. We know that's probably from with the token, um, and he tells her to meet him in his office. Then we have Audrey, who right away I can tell when she starts following Catherine into the next room, goes goes into her like her little voyeur hangout. But yeah, so Catherine confronts Ben about the poker chip, gets straight into it. She gets a few rounds of slaps on the face. <laughs> Are you done yet? No. And that was again another moment. This whole episode, I will give Catherine credit for getting all the anger out on my least favorite character because she's my second least favorite character yeah. credit where credit where credit's due yeah anyone who slaps ben deserves a little credit oh yeah and they have their own little invitation to love imitation moment yeah so we have um yeah pete drinking his milk and Leyland crying and <laughs> benjamin uh goes into his office and this pisses me off so much because he goes into his office, which I didn't realize that's where Josie in the dark was sitting, smoking her cigarette. But she was wearing, she was having a cigarette with a holder. Which oh, is, the fancy. What's, I mean, come on. I fall in love with her anymore. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and Josie says, no one saw her. And I was like, please. It's one of those moments when you watch a scene and you're like, please don't. Please don't. No, no. Don't be. Don't be a thing. And of course, unfortunately, now I know Josie and Benjamin are in cahoots, an invitation-to-love-style cahoots, and I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. Now, for the first time, I'm having a bit of shade at Josie. So a little respect for Catherine, and then we lose a little respect for Josie. Yeah, that is a bit of a like a, a curveball. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I still don't have that much respect for Catherine, because she's just so... <laughs> she's so... Yeah, you're like a little... No, she's quite rude still, and I think she's still quite a bitch. Um, you know, but yeah, I'm not okay with that. And then we have now, towards the end of the episode, um, Shelly lights her cigarette at the stove. She's waiting for Leo to come home, and what do you know? He pulls up with his truck, you know its name, and um, what do you know? Hank, who I knew was probably going to show up time and time again, comes up to beat him up a bit and punch him um another guy i didn't feel too bad to get a little bit like messed with because you know leo is also up there with benjamin with not my favorite characters um so hank basically yeah beats up and bloodies up and um leo and leo goes back into the house and what do we know? I mean, I knew that this point was going to probably happen, but boy, does it happen in like 15 seconds. He like pushes Shelly off and she instinctually pulls out the gun. And all he had to do was call her a slut. Hey, if I was Shelly, I'd be like, bitch. <laughs> Leo, say, say goodbye, you and your big pussy, like pussy truck. And your stupid ponytail, too. Yeah. Don't you dare tell me to go get you a beer. <laughs> I will buy whatever cigarettes I want. 
Yeah, so she pulls the gun, and what do we know? We hear the shot. That was actually really well... Sh- well, oh God, no pun intended, but it was well film shot. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that was yeah executed with the camera angles and stuff, I thought that was really cool. Because it all happens so fast, like you can kind of feel that sense of how Shelly doesn't really have time to make a decision. Like she's just like, it's been a long time coming. And that shot of like the ceiling... Uh, light that he must have hit or something and i'm like i had a moment being like is leo really that tall (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know it did leave a little mystery and how that probably just happened but i'm pretty sure she was close enough that she didn't miss um but yeah he shouldn't have doubted that she was gonna pull the trigger Hmm? i like how your notes say well leo's having a rough night (laughs) yeah he is and he deserves it he's getting the crap beat out of him (laughs) And then he comes home and his wife tries to shoot him. Well, karma's a bitch, Leo. <laughs> karma's a big pussycat bitch. <laughs> oh, God. So, and to finalize this episode, which also, I thought we were done with this for the episode, but of course it ends with none other than Coop walking into his room, lights off, Flipping Audrey's in the bed, no clothes, all emotional too to make it worse. And like I do have to say, like I feel bad for her character and the way she's talking to him in that moment, saying like, "Please don't tell me to leave. Please don't tell me to leave." Like she all of a sudden in a moment, this is like the we see her cry in this episode. We see her basically in desperation. Like she seems like she's so i wouldn't say on Leyland's edge but she's she is on her own version of an edge that she's like she's not well and it was a bit sad but i'm very much not okay with um yeah audrey and coop's bed and um and his gun is out there's too much gun action going on in this episode hmm. quite a quite a cliffhanger ish episode Guns ablazing. Yes. So bed sheets. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Bed sheets, curtains, bearded <sighs> men. Um, well, Janine, what are your over overall overall thoughts on the episode? Um, I thought it was good. I thought again, like I think I mentioned in last episode, it it's again pretty straightforward. It's kind of going from scene to scene now, where it's just kind of giving you. A show that's like hey this is the mystery which is still trying to solve the mystery there's been like a little bit less david lynch weirdness like there's still like doses and little breadcrumbs here and there but it has veered into this sort of like episodic trying to solve something you know some big plot twists and turns like it has some of those things i've been used to in other shows which doesn't make it like you know that's uh it like repetitive or you know or boring it's actually still interesting but yeah i like i think I really am flipping antsy about episode eight, like two episodes from now. Like, I mean, I have, uh, we have two more episodes of the season, and I'm like, I want to know now what happens in the end of this. I want to know. Totally. Well, Janine, my log does not judge. <laughs> so let's peek behind those red curtains and go behind the scenes on this week's episode. Uh, so this episode was actually written by Mark Frost, and this was his first solo credit. So this is the first episode where Mark Frost just did all the writing, uh, you know, and that's, I think you kind of actually picked up on this mm-hmm. based on what you just said, because 
Mark Frost's writing style is more of that soap opera character driven dynamic. And we see so much more of that in this episode. Yeah. Whether it's James and Donna, the the uh, Norma and Ed scene. Like it's all about the plot. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about the plot. It's all about character driven connections and what the consequences of those are. Okay. So very Mark Frost heavy episode. More wine. Oh yes, please. <laughs> I'm like, while we're in person, we're definitely going to have, you're going to hear more of that in the podcast. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot more glug, 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 glug. <laughs> uh, this episode was directed by Linka Glatter. She, she also kind of like notices that this episode has a lot more to do with longing and desires, um, which she feels that, you know, really characterizes the series in a way that that you know, these characters are, are motivated by this. They're motivated by their compassion and their connections and they're wanting to, like, you know, be there for other people. It's uh, it's really quite nice, actually. So that's at least two women that have directed in season one so mm-hmm. far, right? That's... Absolutely. In 1992, that's really cool to know. Yeah, in 1990 even. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, one of the other things that Gladder mentions is... Uh, she particularly praises Kyle McLaughlin's performance, and she mentions that, like, there was a few times where they had to, like, reshoot scenes because his comedic timing was just so spot on that he would just make everyone else laugh. So <laughs> kudos to our to our guy, Kyle. Uh, and then, yeah, not as much on, on the behind-the-scenes stuff, because, again, this is a very straightforward episode. Uh, there is a fly that lands on Cooper's teacup in the... Is it when he's at the having breakfast real quick? It's or? what it's when he's with the log lady. There's like a fly oh, buzzing around his coffee. Cookies. Just another happy accident on the set of Twin Peaks. Just another, you know, creepy weird thing happening in the wonderful world of David. And the fly Lynch. was just like, what was it like from the first or second episode when the guy in the morgue or something says, "I'm Jim." I'm Jim. <laughs> yeah, can you leave? And the fly was just like on the cup. Hey, I'm Jim again. <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> hey, it's me, Jim. <laughs> Uh, well, Janine, where I come from, the birds sing, and there's always music in the air. <laughs> which brings us to this week's legacy, which is the music of Twinkies. Yes! Yes! Some <laughs> <laughs> more actual clinking of glasses. Oh, yeah. Give me all the reasons. It's interesting to be talking about music on an audio podcast medium because, um, you know, we can talk about music. Um, Mm. We can't play too much of the music because of copyright. So everything that I mention, I strongly encourage uh, listeners for you to go out and look this stuff up um, because there's some really cool, interesting facts about the inspiration of this music and where it led to. and yeah, so I, I mentioned when we discussed, uh, I think it was in the second episode or the third episode when we discussed food. Yeah. It was the second episode. Oh, yeah, when like, they're eating donuts all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first thing people always associate with Twin Peaks is like pie, donuts. Yeah. And then the second thing that they always mention is the music. I yeah. even remember like my first run through of the show, like just watching season one. The first thing I picked up on was just, like, I'm obsessed with this soundtrack. I have to say, like, at first, 
Well, the music is what initially got me back into the show. Like, because I had told you before, prior, my only experience was watching that first episode and I fell asleep because the music was actually that much of a lullaby. I was like, wow, that's really good music to fall asleep to. And um, so that was what really kind of convinced me when you mentioned it, besides you being my friend. I was like, oh, yeah, I trust his judgment and taste. And then I was like, but the music was like a huge hook for me to get back into it. Totally. Yeah. I I, I really kind of, like attribute my interest in the show initially like in those first two episodes of just like the music alone i was just like you know i'm not really sure i feel about these characters or this plot yet but the music alone i was like i'm into this it's like when what was it sarah jessica parker's character in hocus pocus is like come little children i'll take you away and it's literally like a hypnotic sort of uh theme throughout with all the songs Absolutely. It, it, it brings you to a whole nother world. Um, and so the music was uh, composed by Angelo Badalamenti, who he refers to it as his defining work, which any, wow. anyone who knows Ange- uh, Angelo Badalamenti, the first thing they think of is Twin Peaks. This is like his cream of the crop. Wait, I definitely have seen his name yet on Spotify. I've been, uh, I actually haven't been listening to music recently, but it wasn't until this episode today that I was like, I thought consciously while watching it, like, now I need to go and put it in something, like, in one of my playlists. Yeah. It really is great. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, so, so it was, he was writing it at a keyboard and David Lynch was kind of like giving him notes of like what to think of. Mm -hmm. Um, So he wrote five songs for the series and David Lynch wrote the lyrics for the songs um, we haven't gotten to all of them yet, so I won't spoil the ones that are coming up. Wait, David uh, Lynch is a songwriter? He wrote the lyrics for the songs, David Lynch. So that makes him a songwriter. Like, that's really... <laughs> I want to see David Lynch's resume. <laughs> yeah, like, what Like what can't the man do? Yeah, that's cool. So he, yeah, so he wrote Falling, which is the, the theme song, which does have a lyrical version. Yep. Uh, the Nightingale, which we... Uh, which was in... That's the Roadhouse song. Yeah, it was in earlier in the season. I think it was either in the first or second episode. In this rough, <laughs> rough house and bar where they were singing like... The most peaceful, poetic song ever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then, of course, in this episode, we have Into the Night, which is the one that, that you mentioned. I'm really glad you mentioned it because I didn't tell you that we were going into music today. So it's it was... my favorite. I think it's my favorite song. Yeah. I have to listen to the whole thing, but it was such a good flip and like i don't know it was like it was one of the newer song that you forget that it could be from a different decade but it also could i guess it's like it's timeless or something absolutely absolutely and it's um and so there's a the the first three of the five lyrical songs that we heard but also you know there's like audrey's dance and the song that we hear in cooper's dream uh all of those are all uh, angelo badalamenti and so you know, about Alimenti, his inspiration was David Lynch, you know, just the story he was telling. David Lynch, you know, when Badalamenti was writing it, David Lynch was literally telling him to, you know, just think about, you know, you're in the woods alone, you hear an owl hooting, uh, there's like wind blowing through the air. Okay, now use that. And then also think of like a young girl who's <laughs> going through this dark moment in her life. And then he, and then that's how he wrote the Laura Palmer theme. That's sort of like big emotional music that we hear a lot. We hear we hear it a lot in this episode. 
I feel like David could be like the best and worst boss to have in like describing like if you're an illustrator that's working with a person you've never worked before imagine like it was David Lynch and you didn't know it was David Lynch imagine him sending emails to you <laughs> like as a musician I feel like a musician maybe could do better with it with how they can with emotions actually, basically just imagine you have David Lynch emailing you being like well imagine this and then that and maybe a little bit of this wait no I changed my mind this yeah sure that and it'd be like a worst nightmare for someone that's like a freelancer well I'll give a I'll give a quick tease for this I'm excited for when we get to the return series because they have a whole um behind the scenes like video tour of like him and his craft we'll get there we'll get there it'll be much further in the future but we'll get there so, but this was, this, the, the music obviously is what, what not only makes Twin Peaks so great, but it also really did kind of put, like, it found its way into mainstream music. It kind of permeated, like, popular music, not just in the 90s, but just kind of, what's interesting about Twin Peaks is, like, each new generation kind of rediscovers Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was big in the 90s when it came out. And then like, you know, a few years back, more people kind of rediscovered it. And then now like people are rediscovering it again. And especially with the return series. Um, And there's so you have sprinkled throughout these generations, musicians that were heavily inspired by Twin Peaks and David Lynch. And, you know, even some of David Lynch's other works. Um, Mm. Marilyn Manson, who controversial figure i get uh but he he does have a song wrapped in plastic which is a direct reference to the first episode of twin peaks of course he does Um, i'm like i'm gonna throw shade on him like ben and all those guys (laughs) solid f you to him but the inspiration shows how far it goes though for sure absolutely um the 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 group uh the klf they have a song called build a fire which samples the main theme oh um moby has a song called go where they sample laura palmer's theme and uh the the group uh juju did a cover of the entire twin peaks album and uh one of the the band members jamie stewart actually said quote if you hum the first the first notes of the opening theme you're immediately transported into another world um Jamie goes on to say, apart from the timpani in 2001, A Space Odyssey, almost nothing else is as evocative. Which again, going back to our sort of like Kubrick, Lynch-like friendship, I'm sure David Lynch would have loved to hear that. Oh yeah. The moment I have my Kubrick binge, you know that's going to be brought up on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But even like music, like today, like recent music is still heavily inspired by um, the works of Twin Peaks and um, Julie Cruz, who who uh, was the performer who sang Nightingale. Nightingale. Yeah. She also sings Into the Night and mm-hmm. Falling. Oh, she sings Into the Night as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that voice is just lovely. She was uh, she was originally a Broadway star, and then from that she kind of like because she has this sort of like angelic ethereal tone in her almost voice almost slightly creepy yeah but yeah she she eventually found her you know 
her way into more like of these like sort of like surreal strange movies i'm so curious what she did on broadway because like in my head i'm like she must have done phantom of the opera or like something really yeah ghostly slash yeah oh that's cool but you think about her performance and the way she stylizes it and there's just so many examples of that today and i think one of the, the biggest examples is actually lana del rey oh i think lana del rey is a huge example yeah i mean like just from my little experience of twin peaks still yeah i get that for sure absolutely that makes sense La, lana del rey actually did a cover of the song blue velvet from david lynch's film blue velvet oh that's on my list so much okay i have that on my uh, letterbox list to watch blue velvet i think i mentioned it too in the early earlier in the podcast i was like oh yeah blue velvet's one of those ones and stuff absolutely but, and kyle mclaughlin i think is in that movie he is yeah okay. he's he's the the main character in that um but lana del rey did a cover of that and so david mm-hmm. lynch responded to it and he said ah lana del rey she's got some fantastic charisma and this is a very interesting thing it's like she's born out of another time she's got something that's very appealing to people and I didn't know that she was influenced by me. <laughs> He's so... Diane! <laughs> Diane! Diane! Lana, it's 8... It's 8.21 in the morning. <laughs> Did you happen to get my message about <laughs> the coffee I wanted? <laughs> uh, if, if you if you want to read more about, like, Lana Del Rey and, like, her influence, you know, between her and David Lynch, uh, Freak One writes a great article for uh, Vulture about it, if, if you want to just read that in full okay. detail. There might be spoilers in it, though. Oh, okay, I don't I'll remember. wait, I'll wait. <laughs> uh, and Lynch, you know, he loves putting musicians in his work as well. It's not enough to just, like, have great music. He also just loves putting musicians in. So, like, in the movie Doom, we have Sting, uh, was a has a plays a important character in that oh, movie. Yeah, I forgot that David Lynch directed. So like the movie Doom that's coming out with the remake, David Lynch directed the original in the eighties. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. And so uh, and 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 I'll and again, I feel like I'm getting like so many teases in on this episode <laughs> without spoiling anything. Uh, in Twin Peaks, there will be a uh, very famous musician coming in in a later. Place. finally i get like a little breadcrumb of the future of twin peaks from you little a little just a little Yay! tease i won't i won't say who it is but there is a uh, folks who have watched twin peaks before know who it is but uh yes there is a um i will save that in my back pocket for the rest of season one absolutely uh and and the music is also used you know sort of as a catalyst for a lot of the other sort of topics that we've talked about on the podcast like we talked last episode about genre mixing mm, yeah. and the music sort of amplifies that because you have oh, yeah. these varying styles. You have these sort of like cool jazzy beats and then you have these, you know, like, like the theme is kind of like this like twangy kind of like country folk song. Like, yeah, it does have like a bit of like those, I think especially helps with the setting that it's taking place. You hear like that folksy sort of, yeah, bluesy moments, and then it gets very sort of alluring. Op- I don't want to say opery, but now that I brought up Fan of the Opera, I'm like, oh yeah, it totally makes sense. It has like a little bit of a Fan <laughs> of the Opera connection. But yeah, it's got like, again, it's when you talk about when we were talking about genre mixing in the other episode, 
it becomes a genre list or music list definition because that's got so many, you know, ingredients and potions in the pot to make it something new. Exactly. Like something like the, the Laura Palmer theme is something that's just like orchestral and then beautiful. Yeah. And then it kind of takes this dark turn into something like weird and ethereal. And it's just, it's so, it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also like embodies, you know, the sort of Americana that we've talked about. Even when, you know, when we were talking about the food, yeah. we talked about how it represents a very American sort of notion. And it, the music does as well. It's a lot of jazz it's again that sort of like twangy country kind of style. So yeah. <laughs> it's very it's very interesting. And one other uh, musician that was inspired by David Lynch and and uh, a song that he wrote was our very own R.J. Mills, who wrote our yeah, theme song. R.J. Yay, R.J. R.J. We're cleaning our glasses for yes. you. Cheers to to R.J. Mills. Uh, which you know what, but. But what a fantastic job, because I remember when we were talking about writing, you know, like like what we wanted in the song, like we were kind of sending RJ like, okay, like we kind of want this style, we want like this sort of yeah. thing. And I trusted you more with it, because like you, I had not really watched Twin Peaks, so I was like, oh yeah, so what do you want to have for this? And RJ being a friend of mine from the past who has like a great music track record, um, man, he really provided, he like really provided yeah he i mean it's so fantastic and and i think rj really just you know puts in the static and really puts in like that like sort of whooshing like ethereal feel while also king like keeping in like that sort of twangy bass line from the theme with that sort of like jazzy drum yeah beat. i love it it's and such i'm a... getting it now more and more now that i'm watching the show yes so, but i remember when like i sent the sample to you of what rj did you're like this is so david lynch or and the funny thing is that rj didn't tell us i mean i knew that he was a bit of a david lynch fan and then all of a sudden like he sent us a sample he's like no, like this is like a really great piece I love working on because he's like a huge Twin Peaks and David Lynch fan all through. So he had such a good sort of perspective on his work. And I can say this, we will definitely be talking more about music and the music of Twin Peaks. So RJ, if you're listening and you want to come on the pod. Yeah, be a guest. You can, you can be <laughs> our guest on, on our pod. But yeah, and so that is that is the legacy of music in Twin Peaks. We love it. We yep. love it. Well, Janine. Yep, yep. As always, taking you downtown. Okay. <laughs> You're under arrest because we got some questions to ask for you. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I'll answer whatever you throw at me. So, Janine, as always, uh, what was your favorite scene? Oh, definitely by far the log lady scene. Mm. Not a long scene, but a good one. There's something really poetic when or when you take something that's very dark and really sad and really ugly that can happen to us in life, like traumas and things, and then it weirdly can turn into something beautiful in how you cope with it, how you turn it into art, how you turn it into music, how you turn it into having this log and this sort of like the way she talks about the owl and the way she, you know, offers them tea and cookies. Like, it's very interesting in how we learned about that with this character. So um, by far that scene. And it was interesting seeing how Hawk empathized and found, it was like a little snippet of multiple multiple things learning at once. It's crazy. Yeah. I highly recommend that 
you go back and, and watch the log lady intros for the episodes we've watched so far. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're really, yeah, they're really quite special. Okay. So who won the episode? Person that won the episode wasn't Coop. <laughs> wasn't Ben. It will never be Ben. <laughs> um, I'd say... Let's get it to Hawk. Hawk? Hawk was on the job. Hawk showed empathy. He just showed up. Yeah. Hawk won. Good yeah. for Hawk. Yeah. And that earring. And that earring. Exactly. We gave him a, we, we gave him a bit of a, a tough ride in the first few episodes. We did. <laughs> he, maybe he deserves better, but... Welcome to the family, Hawk. Welcome to the family, Hawk. <laughs> uh, and as always, last but certainly not least, who killed... This is a this is a stretch, and again, like I told you, I'm gonna get to a point where I feel like I'm gonna name everyone just so I get right at one point. <laughs> no, but like I really, um, it's a cross between two characters, but I'm going to say, have I said Donna yet? I believe last episode you said Donna. Okay, I'll go with that. Okay, the other character is Coop, which is really far fetched in my eyes in one way, but I think Cooper. In this episode, I think Cooper is suspicious, and it would be really interesting if Cooper was the character that killed Laura. Seems far-fetched. It's like, I know he came into town. He didn't know anybody. But you never know with Twin Peaks. So, Cooper. Mm-hmm. So, we have, so, so Cooper is, is, is your, your final answer, but we're still raising eyebrows at Donna. Still got some side eyes. Yeah, my her. eyebrows hurt with Donna, okay. <laughs> but Cooper is, uh, I'm, I'm basically just jumping the gun pun intended <laughs> with coop okay mm-hmm. interesting i know well we will have to <laughs> keep watching and see how this pans out we have two episodes left oh. two episodes left it's happening it's happening it's happening, it's happening. look at us look. look at us one more one for, more for the pod for the pod <laughs> on our outro <laughs> folks tune in Two weeks from now for our next episode. And we're going to keep doing it personally. Yeah. And it's going to be all the more fun. No, I don't know what I'm saying. Basically, yeah. It's going to be great. Cheers. (laughs) Bye, guys. Laters. Welcome to Twin Speaks is edited by Janine Purse and produced by Mike Dowd with music by RJ Mills. Follow us on Instagram at Welcome to Twin Speaks, or you can email us at Welcome to Twin Speaks at gmail.com.